Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Okay, so I forgot that I had a microphone on, and he had it already, and as I stood here, I heard and felt myself give a sigh, like this is it, and I didn't intend for you to hear that, so I am thrilled this morning to share with you God's Word. God Himself has spoken to us. He reveals Himself through His Word, and this morning we're going to be in James chapter 2. You may turn in your Bibles there. Uh, We're going to start looking in verse 14, but before we even get to the book of James, I have a little bit of groundwork I need to do, because if we don't start right and have an understanding before we get into James, into this passage, um, I don't think we can have a right understanding of this passage. I would like to share with you this morning the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, welcome to church this morning. I just gave you some bad news. The Bible says we have all sinned. I know I have. You know, sometimes we think sin has to be some great big thing, like the bad one. But any sin, any shortcoming, any shortness of holiness itself is sin. You know, probably 45 years ago, I was in a jail ministry, and I was in prison, and I was so new at it, and I was trying to share the gospel with somebody, and I told this guy that was in jail that all have sinned, and I didn't know what else to say, and I looked at him, and I said, well, you know that, right? You're in jail. (laughs) I have learned since then, let the Holy Spirit convict of sin. I don't need to do that. But all of us have sinned, and it's left us in a place in Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And because of my sin, I have a wage coming. I have a judgment of God coming upon my life. I am hopelessly lost without Christ. But the good news is Romans 5.8 says, But God commanded His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I had nothing I could do to earn my salvation. God commanded, listen, I don't know where I got an idea at one point in time that God commanded his love toward us like he said, Mark, you are not lovable, but I'm going to try to love you anyway. When God commanded, God actually demonstrated his love toward us. God gave a great outpouring of his love. We just had Valentine's Day and Some husbands poured out their love on their wife with gifts and things and demonstrated their love. Others just said, I love you, okay? And, um, but God displays his love toward us. And I tried to find it back and I couldn't, but I read one time of a story where um, a whole group of all religious people gathered together, all religions, and there was a Christian there. And as they had their discussion, it was like the discussion is, God is on a mountain, and we're all striving to get there. And after a little while, the Christian stopped, and he said, now, wait a minute, let me understand this. You see God is up here, 
and we're all striving to get to God. And he said to them, what would it be if God came down the mountain to you? And that's what God did for us. While we were still sinful, God sends the person of Jesus Christ to come and to die for us. So what does that mean for us? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that it's by grace that we're saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know what I need to have Jesus Christ as my Savior? I need to personally ask him into my life. It's one thing to believe and to know and to hear it here, and we'll talk about that later. It's another thing to put it in my heart and to embrace it and to say, Jesus, you are my Savior. I understand that I had sin in my life, and you died for me, and I accept that. And it's not of works, lest any man could boast. Listen, if I could earn my own salvation, when would I know I had enough works? When could I ever be sure? And if I could earn my own salvation, then Jesus never needed to come. And Scripture says that by grace you're saved. It's through faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ, not what I have done. So I have to start this morning by asking you, have you put your faith in Jesus? Has the gospel, has the, has the message of these verses gone from here down to here? Where you embrace it in your own life and you say, Jesus, I acknowledge you as my Savior. And I want to pause just a minute because if you don't have this squared away right now, so, okay, a little awkward, I want you to just close your eyes a minute and just search your own heart and just know within your heart that you have already embraced Jesus as your Savior. If you have not, do you know it's as simple as putting your faith in Him, acknowledging that you're a sinner, acknowledging that you have judgment coming, acknowledging that Jesus came for you and receive Him into your heart? Oh, that's so important. All right. And I would say to you, if you haven't done that yet, and if you want to accept Jesus, I would stop everything right now to have someone share the gospel with you. It's that important. If you need Jesus, you see me after the service, you talk to one of our pastors, talk to someone who's wearing uh, one of the lanyards, we'd be glad to share the gospel with you. Now, why did I need to share all that? Let's go to James chapter 2, verse 14. Okay, so they gave me a tough one here. Even people like Martin Luther struggled with this passage. And now I'm going to explain it to you. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be able to do this. It is so exciting. I, you know why I love speaking? Because I've spent weeks working on this and reading it and rereading it and reading it. And I get to put it in my heart and I get to absorb it and I get to think about it and I get to dwell on it. And, and to understand what God says in this passage. And now I get to share with you what I have learned. So, James chapter 2. I think we need to read this passage. So just follow along with me as I read. Dear brothers and sisters, what's the use of saying you have faith if you don't prove it by your actions? That kind of faith can't save anyone. Suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing and you say, well, goodbye and God bless you. Stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? 
So you see, it isn't just enough to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself by good deeds is no faith at all. It is dead and it is useless. Now someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. I say, I can't see your faith if you don't have good deeds. But I will show you my faith through my good deeds. Do you still think it's enough just to believe that there is one God? Well, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Fool, when will you ever learn that faith that does not result in good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was justified by God because of what he did when he offered Isaac? He was trusting God so much that he was willing to do whatever God told him to do. His faith was made complete by what he did, by his actions. And so it happened just as the scripture said. Abraham believed God, so God declared him righteous. He was even called a friend of God. So you see, we're made right with God by what we do, not just by faith alone. I'll explain that verse better later. And Rahab, a prostitute, is another example of this. She was made right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as a body is dead without a spirit, so faith is dead without good deeds. I want to suggest to you this morning that sometimes this passage is looked at, are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? I would suggest to you this morning that you're saved by faith, as we clearly saw already, but that faith demands works in our life. As I shared the gospel, remember, Paul was sharing to unbelievers. James is writing to Christians. He's writing to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Paul was writing on how to come to Jesus. James is the practical book. He's writing on how to live after I come to Jesus. And here's something else to consider as he's writing to the Jewish people. The Jewish people were a people of works in their religion. There were sacrifices. There were the Ten Commandments. There were the 316 law, or 613 laws that the rabbis imposed on them. There were the holidays and the feast, and they were always doing, 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 doing. And can you imagine now that a Jew becomes a Christian And they say it's by faith alone and that's all you need to do. Well, that was easy. I don't have to do anything anymore. So James writes and he addresses this. Something should be different. My faith changes how I live. Let me give you an example here. Why do you think we should live differently? Isn't it fun when you decide to buy another car? I'd say new, but just another car. Man, it's... You know, it's like suddenly we can see everything wrong with this car. Like the brakes are getting bad, and it's got a lot of clunks and rattles in it. So you turn the radio up, but the radio doesn't work. And, you know, everything's out. One or two of the headlights don't work. The taillight doesn't work. Something's wrong with the exhaust system. It's got black smoke all the time. And so it's like, man, it's time to buy a new car. We're going to get something really nice now. And so you go to the car lot, and you pick out a car, Um, and just work with me a minute here. So you don't test drive it. It's just like, this car is beautiful, and we just have to have this car. And so um, we make the arrangements, we buy the car, we get in the car, and for the first time we drive it, we're headed home, and it's got clunks. 
and it's got rattles. So I'm going to turn up the radio, but the radio doesn't look. And I look behind me, and I've got all kinds of black smoke. And I come to the first stop sign, and the brakes don't work. I turn right back around, and I go back to the dealership. And I'd say, wait a minute. Something's wrong with this car. And he'd say, well, what is that? I said, well, the brakes don't work. Well, you know, somebody had a bad day, so maybe the brakes don't work. I I give you that. Well, it's got black smoke coming out of the tailpipe. Well, you know, maybe, yeah, it burns a little oil. Here's, here, this would be your statement. It's a new car. I thought it would be different. I expect it out of a car. How about a Christian who the Bible tells us, um, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are become new and old things are passed away. I become a Christian and I'm new and I'm different and I act like the same person yet? I would never accept it in a car. And yet as a Christian, we think, well, that's okay. He just doesn't show it very much. And James is addressing this and he says, how can you have faith that doesn't change you? Your faith changes how you live. Then he gives us some examples here. First one we'll call a homeless person here. And um, actually, if you look carefully, I think this guy might have been with us last week. <laughs> he writes and he says, let's make this really practical, okay? What, what, what do good works look like? Let, let's make this really, really practical. Uh, suppose you see a brother or sister who needs food or clothing and you say, well, Lord bless you. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's get this straight. So, how many of you have had people ask you for money before? Just randomly? Yeah, it's not uncommon, is it? Or, I need food. So here's the person. Well, Mr. Scruffy. Here, let me. Okay, am I Scruffy? All right. And I go to someone, I say, sir, could you spare a few dollars? I just need some food. Mr. Religious. Let me straighten out my hair. I'm sorry, sir. I can't do that. But may the Lord greatly bless you. Go away. Be warm. Be well fed. And may God bless you. I stand here and say that, and you say, how ridiculous does that look? And yet, he's using this example of people who are in need, and we have that happen to us all the time. Let me, share you, let me share with you an example. I'm sitting in the Myers parking lot, and I'm way at the back of the lot. Gwen went inside to get some things, and I was just going to wait for her. And when I saw her come out, I'd drive up to her, and all of a sudden, there's a, I'm looking toward the store and tap on my window. And a guy says, excuse me, sir, could you give me a few bucks for food? First of all, he startled me like, tap, tap, whoa, you know. And he caught me off guard, and I said, no. Uh, I wasn't going to give him any money. And he walked away. And I looked at him, and I thought, how could I not share with him? And so I, I quickly jumped out, and I said, Sir, Wendy's is right there. If you meet me at Wendy's in a few minutes, I will buy you something to eat. And I went inside, and I said, Order whatever you want to order. And um, I know somebody that did that, and the person kept ordering and ordering and ordering and ordering. Uh, and that was Okay. And I was talking to him, and he acknowledged to me he had made mistakes and brought some of this on himself. 
but all he needed was a meal. Um, are we willing to share? And then I remember another time, uh, Quinn and I were in a park in Muskegon, and we're sitting on a bench, and this elderly, unkept person, not quite like that, but uh, came along, and he says to me, uh, do you have any money? My first thought is, yeah, but you're not going to get it. And uh, so I kind of looked at him. I said, no. He goes, then he asked me, do you have any money? I said, no, I'm sorry, sir, not today. And then I watched him walk away. And again, God convicted me, and I thought, Lord, how could I not? I'm not going to give him money, but how could I not share with him? So our car, he had walked down the block a ways, and Gwen was there with me. And we got in the car, and we drove over, and I parked in front of him, stopped. I met him on the sidewalk, and I said, sir, could I take you? And just down the street was a convenience store. I said, could I take you down to the store, and I'll buy you whatever you want to eat. And he said to me, I want money. I said, well, I'm not going to give you money, but sir, I'd love to take you over to the store over here, and I will buy you whatever you want. I want money. I said, well, I'm not going to give you money. I'd be happy to buy you something if you have need. I want money. Why won't you give me money? And I said, well, I'm not sure what you'll do with it. And if I buy you food, I know that you're cared for. I want money. So I had to say to him, sir, I'm really sorry I can't help you. Um, Have a good day. And I turned around, and I walked away. I got in the car, and here I had tried to help this person And as I'm driving away, he's shaking his fist at me, hollering, tightwad, tightwad. (laughs) It's like, I tried to help him. You know, sometimes we're afraid to help people because we're afraid of the result. Sometimes we're afraid to get involved because it might take too much time. Sometimes we're afraid of just giving of ourselves too much, or we're afraid of being used. Listen, faith needs to show itself in works. Recently, and several times, we have mentioned John chapter 15 about abiding in Christ. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who abide in me will bear much fruit. Do you know that much fruit means that, that's, that's good works, that's, that's things done for the honor and glory and for the kingdom of God. It's no mistake that Jesus would say, I am the vine, you're the branch. You draw from me And the natural, the thing that's going to happen when the vine, when the branch draws from the vine, it bears fruit. And Jesus used this example to say, when you abide in me, your life should be changed and it should be evident to the world. Now, I can give you a good example of when people didn't do that. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? And a man was beaten and laying along the side of the road. And who comes by but a high priest? And he kind of walks around him. And then the, uh, the next person to come by was the temple assistant, and he walked by him. And then the Samaritan comes along. Do you know who walked by the man? Think about this. Make it really practical. Church people. People who claim to have faith in Jesus didn't help him. And there are those who claim to know Jesus, but truly do not, and their actions will show it. Jesus said in verse 8 of, chapter, of John 15, my true disciple will bear much fruit. It should be evident in our life. 
Well, what do people of faith look like? I mean, are they obvious? Can you see? So if I said to you, look at a tree. I think we have a tree coming up here. And I said to you, what kind of tree is that? Well, that particular tree kind of gives itself away to me because I recognize it. But many of you may look and go, I don't know, is it a peach tree, a plum tree, an apple tree, a pear tree? Um, What is it? Let me tell you how to identify it. Could we see some fruit on that tree? Yeah. An apple tree. You know how you tell it's an apple tree? Because it's got fruit. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really wolves that will tear you apart. You can detect them by the way they act, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit. You don't pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. And a healthy tree produces good fruit, and an unhealthy tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Um, so every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown in the fire. Yes, listen now. The way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that's produced in their life. How do you tell what a Christian looks like, what a believer looks like, how someone who has faith in Jesus looks like? You look at the fruit in his life. Um, Verse 19. Do you still think it's enough just to believe that there's one God? Well, even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. Fool, when will you ever learn that faith does not, that does not result in good works is useless? The demons believe, listen, the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons believe that he is the Messiah. The demons believe that he was crucified. The demons believe that he was buried, and the demons believe that he rose again and that he ascended into heaven, and the demons believe that he's coming back. But it doesn't make any difference in their life because faith or just head knowledge of Jesus doesn't change their lives. It doesn't change them. They know it here but not here. And the importance of the gospel is believing that Jesus died for you and paid for your sins, and you need to bring it from here to here and let it affect your life. My faith, once again, changes how I live. I want to give you two more examples of how faith changes how you live. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was justified by God because of what he did when he offered up Isaac, his son? So I want to go to Genesis chapter 22, and I want to look at the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. If I were to say to you, your faith changes how you live, Abraham is probably the greatest example you'll ever see. In fact, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it even tells us that God tested Abraham's faith and obedience. 
God wanted to see if what Abraham said he believed was really real. Do you really have faith in me? And how would it be proved? By his works, by what he did. So God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son. Abraham and Sarah had waited 90, one was 90, one was 100 years to have a son. And God finally blessed him with a son. And yet God says, take Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will point out to you. Sacrifice him? But God, this is my response. Sacrifice him? I waited a hundred years for this boy. He was your promise. You gave him to me. I would question God. I would say, are you sure? Are you sure? I must have got this wrong. I, have, I, just, I didn't understand. There must be something I didn't, write, I didn't get right. God would never ask this of me. And yet, look how Abraham responds. In verse 3, he gets up early the next morning. And he starts getting ready for his trip. And he cuts some firewood. And he gets a container of fire ready to take with him. And he takes his son with him. And he loads up his donkey. And he takes a couple of servants with him. And he heads out. There was no debate. There was no question. There was no delay. Abraham says, God, in his heart, he said, God, if this is what you ask of me, then this is what I will do. Why? Because he had such faith in God. Um... He saddles his donkey, he goes. Then he tells his servants, stay here with the donkey. And Abraham told the young man, young men that were with him, the boy and I will travel a little farther and we'll worship there. And then we will come right back. How did that work? Abraham is going up the mountain. He's going to sacrifice his son. And he says to the servants, we will be right back. We're going to see it a little bit later again how much faith Abraham had, as it tells us in Hebrews. And Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the knife and the fire, and the two of them went up, um, together. And Isaac said, Father? And Abraham said, Yes, son. He says, and Isaac says to him, We have wood and we have the fire, but where's the lamb? Isaac knew what was supposed to happen. If we're going to have a sacrifice, we should have a lamb. And Abraham says to him, Father, uh, Abraham said to him, um, God will provide a lamb for us. And when they arrived at the place where God told them to go, Abraham takes Isaac. Abraham takes and they build an altar. I imagine Isaac helped him build the altar. And then Abraham ties up his son. And Abraham lays him on the altar. I know Abraham had to have had emotion. He had to have been searching his heart. But I want to tell you, Abraham was obedient to God. And when God said, sacrifice your son, Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son. And as Abraham takes the knife like this and he's ready to sacrifice his son, an angel shouts to him and says, Abraham, stop. 
And Abraham stops. And the angel says, I know that you... Um, um, the angel said, lay down your knife. And he says, don't hurt the boy in any way. I know that you truly fear God and you've not withheld your beloved from me. Abraham was willing because of obedience to give the greatest thing in his life, his son that he waited a hundred years for, was willing to sacrifice him to God if that's what God asked for. How could he do that? I want to tell you how much faith Abraham had in God. In Hebrews 11, verse 19, it says that Abraham assumed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. Do you want to know how much faith Abraham had in God? He had so much faith that if he killed his son, God would bring him back to life. Why would Abraham believe that? Because God promised him that not just through a son, but through Isaac, that he would become a great nation. And Abraham believed that no matter what he did, God would be faithful to his word. Listen, his faith changed how he lived, even if it didn't make sense. Let me give you another example. Story of Rahab. Back in James chapter 2. And it tells us that Rahab the prostitute is another example of this. She was made right with God by her action when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away on a different road. I have to back up a minute because I have to tell you something very important. Back in the James passage where it talked about Abraham in verse 21, about Abraham being justified by God, that word there, justified, and this is where... Um, some of the words have more than one meaning. In English, we have one meaning for every word. I mean, pretty much. But in Scripture, there's different meanings. And to be justified here meant to prove or proof of righteousness. And when Abraham was justified, that means that he proved where he stood with God. It wasn't that he was made right because he offered Isaac. It says that he was proven. He proved his faith because of what he did with Isaac. And then we have the story of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. We go from Abraham, who is so well known, of the tribe of Israel and good standing, to now we go to Rahab, who lived in a wicked city. She's a prostitute by trade. And yet God uses her as an example here. So in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua sends out spies from the Israelite camp to Acacia. And they're to go spy out the land and to see what they have to do to take it. So they go into this city and when they get into the city, they go to the inn where Rahab is at. Rahab takes them in and hides them. And then the soldiers come, 
And they say to Rahab, hey, where are those guys? We heard they came in here. And she says, no, no, they're not here. In fact, if you hurry and go down the road over there and take a left and go down to the river where they cross, you can probably catch them because they just left. And so the soldiers hurry away. After the soldiers have left, Rahab goes and talks to the spies that she has taken in. So listen to this. Joshua 2.8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. She's talking about all of the townspeople. Everyone is living in terror. Why? For we heard how the Lord made a dry path through the Red Sea for you when you left Egypt. I want to tell you something. That story spread like crazy. Everybody knew it. Everybody heard it. And when they heard that it was their God who did that, and they're approaching their city, they're terrified because if God can part the Red Sea and deliver them, what could he do to them? And they're terrified. And they say, we know how... um, We know what you did to Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. They heard about the Red Sea. They heard about the victories they've had, and they attribute it to their God. And no wonder our hearts have melted with fear. You know what? This army is coming, and we are terrified because we've seen and we've heard what your God does for you. And she's talking really on behalf of the town to these soldiers. But then she makes a very independent statement, I think, for herself. She says, For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens and the earth below. And I want to suggest to you that Rahab believed here who Almighty God was. She wasn't like everybody else in town who just heard what God did, and they're terrified. She heard what God said and said, wow, this is the Almighty God. And because of that, she took a chance with her own life. Listen, what do you think the soldiers would have done if they found out that she had taken them in and hidden them? They probably would have tried her for treason. They would have taken her in, probably killed her. She risked her life for these uh, spies that came in to town that day. Her faith changed the way she lived. Hebrews 11.31 says, and interestingly, she's listed in the Faith Hall of Fame. It says, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute did not die with the others in her city who refused to, break, to obey God. Her faith changed how she lived. Her faith even brought life to her and to her family. As soon as we mention the word works, it seems like we all freeze up. And it's like, no, it's not works. We're saved by faith. James writes and he says, man, you got faith? You got to have works. It just flows through you. It, you can't help it. If you put your faith in God, certainly there's got to be a change in your life. Um, praise team, you can come up. Uh, I'm going to be closing here. The 
question is not faith or works, but it's how can you have real faith without works? My faith just demands that I have an outworking of Jesus Christ for Jesus. Matthew 5, 16. Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. And when it says good works there, it's not talking about quantity or quality. It's talking about an attractiveness. And Jesus said, your light should shine so much that there is an attractiveness to you. And it should give glory to the Father. Can you imagine having good works that are so attractive that the world would look and see something's different about that guy? That the world would look and see, I want what he has. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. What's your life like today? Will you live out your faith? And will you allow the world to see an attractiveness in you that comes from Jesus? It's not to draw attention to you. The verse says, so that they will see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. It's not me trying to do something. It's not me trying to act good. It's me giving glory to God. People see it and want what I have. Your faith should change how you live. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.